I'm beginning this morning in Galatians in the third chapter, continuing on in this series on the life of faith. And as we consider the life of faith, Galatians quotes that passage from Habakkuk that the righteous shall live by faith. And I think it's instructive that as Galatians chapter 3 quotes that passage, it then continues in particular exaltation of the truth of what God wants us to know by contrasting the law and reliance on the law with the hope of all who trust by faith in Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, He who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit Through faith. The blessings of Abraham come to the Gentiles. Through what? Through faith. What blessings of Abraham? Chapter 3 and verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, had faith in God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see, the life of faith is spoken of throughout the scriptures in many passages, in many different descriptions and illustrations. We see the life of faith consistently borne out as the life to which we are called. We're reminded most uh, pressingly of the life of faith in Hebrews and the 11th chapter. And the whole point of that chapter is that as we consider the faith of those who has gone before us, we are to join with them in trust and faith, living out our faith, as was the point of our time in First Peter last week. Our lives... Not just our initial profession of faith, but our lives need to be lives of living faith. Faith isn't a one-time event. Faith is an ongoing life for the believer. As we consider how the Old Testament illustrates the life of faith, there are numerous great illustrations of that faith that we could think of we think of the the uh, the chronicle in Hebrews 11 and we think of those whom uh, that passage refers back to certainly Noah was an example of faith no rain told to to build an ark and then there was going to be a flood and all the ridicule that he went through why because he believed God. He lived by faith in God. Maybe one of the greatest illustrations of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham called to sacrifice his only son. And why does he do it? Because he believes. He has faith. What does he believe? He believes that God is even able to raise one up from the dead. God could accomplish the promises that he had 
covenanted with Abraham by raising Abraham's son from the dead. Among those great stories of faith is the passage to which I would direct us this morning. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel and the 17th chapter. 1 Samuel and the 17th chapter. Now 1 Samuel 17 is of all the chapters in 1 Samuel, um, with the exception of uh, chapter 14, I believe. Um, It's by far and away the longest. Chapter 14 comes close to being as long as chapter 17. But chapter 17 is multiples longer than all the other passages in 1 Samuel as we consider the Word of God divided as it is uh, in our day. As we think about the length of 1 Samuel, I think that it's appropriate to think of uh, how greatly this particular uh, chapter has been used to encourage the faith of saints of old and saints into our day. As we look to this chapter, we find that there is one standing against the Lord and against the people, the armies of the living God, and that one is Goliath. Or as he is uh, far more frequently named in 1 Samuel 17, the Philistine. The Philistine. Here is a man who, uncircumcised, pagan, does not follow Yahweh, the one true God. And in fact, the emphasis of the passage, if you look to the uh, key words that are repeated in the passage, the emphasis of that passage has to be on the fact that here in 1 Samuel 17, you have one who reproaches, defies, mocks the Lord God of Israel. You find this word, this particular root word for reproaching God, for defying and and mocking God. You find this particular word six times in the chapter. You find it in chapter uh, 17 and verse 10, then in verse 25, two times in verse 26, then again in verse 36 and 45. Six times. Goliath mocks God, or there is a reference to the fact of him mocking God. Here is the backdrop of the uh, of the seventeenth chapter of First Samuel, which we should not lose sight of. God is being mocked. God is being despised. And we find that though there are many who will not stand on the Lord's side and trust in his word and work against their fears and encourage their friends to stand up against such a one as this great Philistine, we find one, one who is but a youth, one who is but a boy, as it were, and in comparison to the Philistine, one who is small and one who is despised himself because of who he is. And that one is David. And so I'd like to encourage us uh, today to consider David's faith defending the God who alone is creator of heaven and earth, the God who alone is ruler and director of the armies of the Israelites, to consider the faith of this servant of God and to find our faith encouraged because of that. Let us 
As we take up the text this morning, let us consider um, jumping into the middle. I'm not going to read the entirety of the passage, but jumping into the middle where David is giving his defense to Saul as to why he should be allowed to go and fight against the Philistine. And so let's take it up in verse uh, 34. And as we look to verse 34 and following, we can see how that David, even here, is trusting in the Lord. First Samuel 17 and verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. David declines to take Saul's armor that he offers. Verse 40, He took his stick in his hand, and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and the ruddy with handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead body of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Let us go to the one who has the battle and let us trust in him. Lord, I pray that in the great power of your working, to plant faith in our hearts and lives that you would do that for any who are here and are not trusting in you. And for those who are here and are trusting, I pray that you would use this time in your word to grow our trust in you. Lord, might our lives, like David's, reflect our faith, our trust, our belief, our hope in you. I pray this for each one here, for myself, that our Savior would get the glory 
We pray this because of him and in his name. Amen. Though this language of defying God, whom you have mocked, taunted, the end of verse 45, is clearly repeated throughout the passage, I would encourage you, if you are such a one as to mark your Bibles, I would encourage you, in verse 47, to underline the word you. David has said that he's going to remove Goliath's head from his body. Verse 47, that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And the reason that word you is important is because it is not singular. The word you there is in the plural. David is talking about his confidence that not Goliath alone will be killed and defeated, but that the Philistines would be defeated. What kind of faith is this that David has that encourages him to believe that trusting in God God will give the Philistine army into the hands of the Israelites. What kind of faith is this? Well, we see much of of David's faith as we look to this passage of Scripture. We see three things in particular about this faith that I like to emphasize for us as we consider 1 Samuel 17. First, faith remembers God's word. Second, faith conquers fear. And third, faith encourages friends. We certainly could learn much more about faith, but I want to focus in on these three truths from 1 Samuel 17. The beginning of 1 Samuel 17, before we get to faith remembering God's word, the beginning of 1 Samuel 17 sets the stage for this whole ordeal. The first three verses point to the geographical location of what is happening. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephesdamim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Here we come into the, uh, into the scene of the battle and we're some 12 to 14 miles west of Bethlehem. We're in the uh, territory that the uh, Philistines uh, would have uh, been comfortable in. This is the, the territory of the Shvela, the, the hill country between the, the coastlands and the a mountainous region of uh, Israel going north and south through the land. The valley of Elah is a valley which is uh, on the south and the north, um, hemmed in by uh, one of those, those hills that become more and more prominent as you go further and further east. And Soko and Ezekah were strong points on the south side of the valley. The, uh, the Israelites apparently taking uh, the hill on the north side of the valley and between them that great valley. The first thing that we find as we uh, come to this location of the battle, though, is not just that there is a battle location, but that a champion comes out. And that's verse 4 of our text. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines. And this language for a champion is the language for one who stands between. One who stands between. And here, 
Uh, Goliath has come to stand out between the the people of Israel and the army that the Israelites had been had gathered uh, by the uh, instruction of Saul and the army of the Philistines. And here uh, is one of those unusual, though not unprecedented, unusual, though not unprecedented occasions where uh, they would do battle by single combat. Uh, This was not the typical uh, format of battle for uh, one hero from one nation to stand against one hero from another nation and to uh, proclaim whoever wins is the winner uh, in that single combat. But that's exactly what uh, Goliath does. But before you find what he challenges the people of Israel with, Before that, you find this extraordinary list of who Goliath is and how he is attired, uh, how he is prepared for battle. Um, Here we're we're met by this one who stands between the armies of the Philistines uh, and the armies of Israel named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He he stood more than nine and a half feet tall. And if you can imagine uh, someone of our day and our time standing against someone who's nine foot six or taller, um, you, you can imagine quite a difference of stature, quite a difference of comparison. But then remember that the Jews were typically not of the same stature as, for example, Saul. And Saul isn't anything in comparison to, to, to uh, Goliath, but the Jews were, uh, were typically not of the same stature. And so you can imagine the impression and the intimidation that Goliath has just from afar seeing this huge man. Yea, a giant. Not only that, but he had a bronze helmet on his head. Uh, interestingly, uh, metal helmets were not typical. Um, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Um, uh, more than 120 pounds of armor is the the weight of the the, the armor that he is uh, wearing. His spear, we are told, uh, he had a bronze greaved on his legs, a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, 15 to 16 pounds, just the head, the the metal head of his spear. Um, It may be that much of who Goliath is and what is presented of Goliath here intimidates us in the same way in which he was seeking to intimidate the people of Israel. Surely he was a warrior and he was arrayed as uh, in rather unusual fashion, even for a warrior. But here he is intimidating the Israelites, intimidating the Israelite army. And you note that who doesn't want to go and fight against Goliath? The man who based on the uh, chapter before, stood um, head and shoulders above, uh, sorry, uh, earlier, stood head and shoulders above above Israel, Saul doesn't want to go. Rather, Saul is looking for someone to go and fight against Goliath. Which leads then to the, the, Contest which Goliath wants to have. Verse 8, we find Goliath standing and shouting to the Israelite army. Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? 
Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he, we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Uh, this language of defiance, verse 10, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And what is the response of Saul and the response of the army of the Israelites? That response is fear and dismay. Verse number 11. When Saul and all the Israel, all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Here is a man who not only looks intimidating, but is intimidating. A man who is a warrior, a man whose purpose is to defy God's people and the Lord. For to defy the people of the Lord is to defy, deride, mock the Lord. And so... With all that tension in the air, we as readers come with a little bit of a sigh of relief to verse 12. You you, you find the calm and the pastoral nature of verse 12 and following quite a a relief. You have an introduction to who David is. You have the, uh, the concern that Jesse has for his sons who were at battle with Saul and Eliab the firstborn there, Abinadab and Shammah uh, there in battle with Saul. Now David the youngest is uh, told to go and take some uh, an ephah, verse 17, of roasted grain and ten loaves and run uh, to the camp to your brothers. Uh, he's going to take this to deliver to them uh, so that they can be refreshed. Um, he wants to uh, follow the instruction of his uh, of his father, so he does that. He brings bring also verse eighteen ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. Now, in the direction of God, this delivery boy, this. Aaron boy is going to be used in great ways. And we see the first way in which his, his faith is demonstrated because David is one who by faith remembers God's word. By faith remembers God's word. As you come to the uh, passage of David coming to the uh, the armies, you come to verse 20. David arises early. He takes what he was told. He comes to the circle of the camp. While the army was going to, out in battle, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. And it's in this context that David arrives with his delivery. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, And behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. The words which I read, I defy the rank of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Back in verse 8 and verse 9, verse 10. Here is a man uncircumcised, a man who is but a servant of those who do not believe and follow the Lord. And he, defying, despising the people of God. And David hears this. And David is alarmed, alarmed at the response. Verse 24 and 25. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy, to mock Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him the daughter and his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Here is this reproach that this uncircumcised enemy of God is bringing against God's people. And what does David say? Well, what's the reward? But note, David isn't just looking for the reward. The rest of the verse. um, What will be done, verse 26, for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Here is a a, a Jewish youth, David, who understands what Goliath is doing. He's taunting the armies of the living God. David doesn't look and see Goliath in his great armor attire and great stature. Rather, David looks and David sees an enemy of God mocking God. And as you go through the uh, the Old Testament laws, you go through the the first books of the Hebrew uh, Bible. It's very clear that God is not the one to be mocked, but rather God is the one to be worshipped. God is not the one to be derided and despised. Rather, God is the one to be served. In fact, Leviticus makes clear what is the penalty for those who would speak blasphemously against God? Answer? Stone them to death. It is very appropriate as David remembers what God's word says of who God is, of what he has learned revealed of who God is, that he looks to this one who is an enemy of the living God and the the armies of the living God. And what does he seek to do? He seeks to carry out that which God's word even prescribes. Now, I I don't think it's exactly the kind of prescription that we would say, oh, this is a one-for-one prescription. Uh, correlation, but it is really insightful that the penalty for blasphemy is stoning. But after David hears of what the reward will be, after David professes his confidence in the living God, whom this uncircumcised Philistine, that's the language on David's lips, this uncircumcised Philistine. One other thing, uh, after he does this, then he has to deal with Eliab, his, old, his older brother, uh, brotherly brotherly uh, conflicts. But um, one other thing, uh, in all of the Bible, the, the uh, language that you have uh, in verse 26 and 27 on David's lips, this is the first time that you have David speaking in the Bible. The first time that you have David speaking in the Bible. That you have record of, of him speaking, what he said. And what is he doing? He's defending who God is. He's wanting his Uh, fellow Israelites to defend who God is. But before he can do that, he has to get through his older brother. And his older brother speaks derisively. His older older brother speaks, um, uh, the, the language isn't the word for mocking, but 
Um, Eliab's, uh, verse 28, Eliab's anger burned against David and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left your few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. What are you doing here, David? This isn't your place. Go back like the shepherd boy that you are and spend your time in the wilderness. David's response, verse 29, but David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? And it seems as though uh, David is... um, uh, David is responding in the kinds of ways that uh, that uh, brothers sometimes will um, will interact with each other. David is uh, responding. Can't I even ask a question? What, what? Why can't I ask? What? What's happening? David doesn't turn aside from his uh, intention to be one who would stand on the Lord's side. Rather, he turns aside from his brother. Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Who is this who stands defying uh, the, the living God? What is the reward? Same answer. And then, not only do you have the uh, the brotherly scorn of Eliab, but you have the uh, commanderly scorn of Saul. Um, uh, the problem is that you're just a boy. Um, you're just a little brother, Eliab's thinking. Scorn. The problem is you're not a warrior. Saul's thinking. Verse 31. Saul hears of what David is doing. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul doesn't believe that he's able to do this. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth who... He, but he has been, while well, he has been a warrior from his youth. And what does David do? David gives testimony to the work of God through him. David gives testimony to the fact that he has trusted in God in the past. And what has God done? God has delivered him. You note the language of uh, deliverance. As you look to the uh, passage there where uh, Goliath uh, is, is being, uh, where David's going before Goliath is being spoken of before Saul. Uh, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Here is a man who believes in what God has said. Where does deliverance for the people of Israel come from? God's word is clear. Deliverance comes from their God. What does David believe? David believes, he remembers God's word. And so, you find David living in a way that shows that faith conquers fear. Faith not only remembers God's word, secondly, faith conquers fear. You, we, we saw very clearly the fear that uh, was um, just uh, dripping from the people of Israel as they responded, as they saw um, the Goliath and responded to him. Uh, verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But what does, what does David do? He doesn't go forth trusting in human uh, means and typical 
the typical fashion and form of uh, the weaponry of humans. Saul tries to get him to, uh, to put on a bronze helmet and clothe him with armor and give him a sword over his armor. Um, but D- David refuses. I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Verse 39. And so what does he do? He takes instead his stick, his staff. He takes his staff and he takes five smooth stones. Now the uh, common stone uh, in sling warfare, which wasn't uh, ex- uh, extensively prevalent, um, but in different societies throughout that uh, time and even into the Greek and Roman time, uh, there were those who were um, warriors with slings who used sling warfare as their fighting means, and uh, the typical uh, the typical stone would be um, uh, probably baseball size, three three inches in diameter. So think of an orange, think of a baseball, um, think think of something bigger than a golf ball. Okay. Um, this was not uncommon uh, for uh, for those who were trained in uh, such means of uh, combat. But David uh, goes forth with what he knows, not in fear, but rather trusting in the Lord. And so what does he do? He takes these five smooth stones, puts them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Um, now, interestingly, uh, a number of years ago uh, in Christianity Today, uh, there was a cartoonist who would write uh, cartoons, um, and he entitled them What If. They were What If cartoons. And one of the What If cartoons that he uh, drew was a cartoon of little wimpy David going up to big uh, bully Goliath and uh, David trying to shout while while Goliath leans down to just barely be able to, to hear what he's saying. Um, and David says, we forgive you. <laughs> what if, what if. But that is not what we find here. Not at all. God had a much different purpose. God's purpose was for Israel to be convinced of their theology. They serve who? The living God. And serving the living God, when Israel goes into battle, it's a theological endeavor. It's not just a warfare endeavor. And so what does David do? He doesn't go in fear. Rather, he approaches. He approaches boldly. Uh, He approaches the Philistine, verse 40. Verse 41, then the Philistine came on and approached David. Uh, He he himself doesn't come alone. Uh, Goliath uh, doesn't come alone. Rather, he brings his his armor uh, bearer, uh, probably the large full body shield, uh, kind of armor that uh, the armor bearer is is bearing for this giant. Verse 42. You have the disdain of Goliath for David. Verse 43. You have the mocking of Goliath toward David. That continues into verse um, 44. Uh, that mocking we've already read, but I want us to be mindful of this. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? A reference to the measly staff that he has, David has. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David, note the language, by his gods. By his gods. Here is David hearing Blasphemy, hearing that by the gods of the Philistines, there was taunting. So then you have the response of David, 
You come to me with sword, a spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Here is faith. David isn't coming in fear. David is coming in confidence. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Why? So that all the assembly may know, verse 47, that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, you Philistines, into our hands. David is living in keeping with what uh, readers of First Samuel ought to know. First Samuel 16 and verse 7. This is the context of Samuel picking out one of the sons of Jesse for the next king. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, but for I, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All the other Israelites, they saw Goliath and they looked on the outward appearance. But David looked and he saw one who despised God, who mocked God, who blasphemed God. You know the end of the story, but let us Note this third truth about faith as we continue to the end. Not only does faith remember God's word and faith conquers fear, but thirdly, faith encourages friends. Faith encourages friends. The end of chapter 17 is very clear. David, who doesn't have a sword, uses Saul's sword to cut off his head. David who's given the victory by the Lord, uses Saul's, uh, uh, sorry, Goliath's head to intimidate the Philistines. And what do they do? They immediately see that their, uh, their hero, their champion, their one who stands in the gap has fallen and they start running. David prevailed. He takes the sword, chops off the champion's head. Verse 51, the end of the verse. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Verse 52, faith encouraging friends. Then the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to the Sharim, even to Gath and Ekron. Um, here's, here's what happens. They, they pursue the army of the Philistines and they pursue them some five or six miles to the, uh, to the, uh, west. They pursue them, uh, toward the, Medi- the, the Mediterranean. They pursue them toward the direction of the Philistine stronghold Ekron. And then, uh, s- s- the, uh, the army of the Philistines isn't able to escape, so some of them continue on and they go north along the, along the coast, northward. They go to the next major, uh, uh, important Philistine city. They go to Gath, uh, another four miles or so. Uh, so t- at, at about ten miles, probably more than ten miles of pursuit the people of Israel pursuing the armies of the Philistines. Dead Philistines strewn along the way. Why? Because David acted in faith. And this was an encouragement to the people of Israel, the armies of Saul. This is quite in keeping with the same kind of thing that we saw back earlier in 1 Samuel. You remember when Jonathan... Uh, decides to be uh, a hero and to be faithful in fighting against the enemy for the Lord. He uh, gets into trouble with his father. Um, but it's an encouragement to the people around. It's encouragement to the other soldiers as they battle. 
Might we be faithful in um, our faith that we might be an encouragement to others in not trusting in ourselves, not our luck or our skill or our persistence, but trusting in the Lord. The Lord Yahweh will deliver me, uh, David says. And so might we, trusting in the Lord, find great encouragement even as we consider this text. One of the great preachers of years gone by, in fact, he was named for the greatness of his preaching, John Chrysostom, and Chrysostom means golden-tongued. John Chrysostom said of of God, talking about Goliath. Goliath was protected by the power of his weapons and the strength of a full set of armor, whereas David had none of that panoply. But he was fortified by his faith. Goliath had external protection of his glittering breastplate and shield. David shone from within with the grace of the Spirit. This is why a boy prevailed over a man. This is why the one wearing no armor conquered the one fully armed. This is why the shepherd's hand crushed and destroyed the bronze weapons of war. Why? Because he was fortified by his faith. You know, as you go forth in your life, Time and again, God's name is derided. Where will you stand? Whom will you confess? Will you be faithful in looking to the Lord? Might the Lord help us to live lives of faith, even as David did. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would not trust in anything other than you. Help our trust in your word to be reflecting our trust in you. We have much in our lives to be anxious for, to be worried about. But might you work even in us that the faith that we have would conquer fear. And Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of others who have been faithful in following you Might you bless us in following in the same pattern of their faith. For their faith is surely and confidently resting on you. And so we would have it with our lives. Let us trust in you. Let us live trusting in you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.